Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 229 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I chat with spirits expert OJ Lima, one of the co-founders of Taste Select Repeat, a modern liquor store that's bringing more people into the fold with a focus on diversity and transparency, as well as a heavy emphasis on special barrel picks. We'll tell you all about how OJ and his team go about selecting these magical barrels, but before we do, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Brooklyn Cocktail. To make it, you'll need two ounces of rye whiskey, one half ounce dry vermouth, one half ounce of your favorite Amaro, and one quarter ounce or two generous bar spoons of maraschino liqueur. Combine these ingredients in a mixing beaker with ice, stir until everything is properly diluted and well chilled, then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass, garnish with a brandied cherry, and enjoy. One interesting thing to note about the Brooklyn cocktail is that the dry vermouth is allegedly an artifact of a misprint. Originally, this Manhattan riff was said to have called for sweet vermouth, which is technically more on brand for the Manhattan family. Here's the thing though, do you want authenticity, you know, being true to the original formulation, or do you want a balanced drink? In this case, I think the misprint was a benevolent error because it avoids overloading this particular cocktail with three moderately to very sweet modifiers. As it currently stands, the Brooklyn cocktail is a really fun drink to play around with if you're trying to understand how to dial in tastes like bitterness and acidity in a cocktail format that's as popular yet as flexible as the Manhattan. So this would be like one of those 201 cocktails once you've kind of mastered the basics. And now that you've got an American whiskey cocktail to shop for on your next trip to the liquor store, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this single barrel conversation with entrepreneur and spirits educator OJ Lima, co-founder of Taste Select Repeat, some of the topics we cover include how OJ and his business partner Pierre battled a pandemic and a notoriously thorny government bureaucracy to found and scale their modern liquor store concept, the historical and social forces that contribute to an unwelcoming culture for women and people of color within American whiskey, and how Taste Select Repeat is working to open things up by emphasizing transparency and healthy discourse. Then we dig into OJ's bread and butter, single barrel picks. Many of you have heard this term, and for some of you, it may be new territory. We give you the basic rundown and then talk about how OJ and his team partner with different distilleries to select these barrels from literally warehouses full of options. Along the way, we cover some of the new spirits categories TSR is beginning to explore, how a single barrel whiskey is like a performance of a Shakespeare play, what to drink on the beach with Bob Marley, and much, much more. This is one of those episodes where you realize that American whiskey is a microcosm that can be used to examine the larger world that we inhabit. OJ and the team at Taste Select Repeat are completely dedicated to giving you an excellent experience in the glass, but a lot of the real work they're doing involves directly addressing systemic problems derived from power structures embedded both in the three-tier system and in our own minds and the way we go about our lives. Fortunately, these and so many other problems are always easier to contend with when you've got a lovingly selected single barrel dram in your glass. So with that, I'll turn the mic over to this episode's guest, OJ Lima, co-founder of Taste Select Repeat. OJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. So let's kick it off. Uh, just briefly, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Just give everybody a sense of who you are and what you do. 
Sure. Uh, my name is OJ Lima. I'm the co-founder of Taste Select Repeat, TSR as we call it. Um, myself and my partner, Pierre Augusti, we uh, started an e-commerce liquor store uh, in uh, October of 2020. And we specialize in single barrel whiskey picks, particular American whiskey, bourbon, uh, rye. Uh, we're starting now to do some tequila. And then on the other side of our business, uh, we do events, experiences. So uh, we work with private clients, corporate clients to do fun whiskey tastings, wines and wines uh, and stuff like that. Awesome. Uh, October 2020, you lo- decided you were going to launch a online liquor store in the depths of the <laughs> pandemic. Uh, it was, it I, was, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, I mean, I was just going to say, what were you thinking? I mean, in, in one respect, it must have been uh, a bit thrilling and exciting because, you know, so much untapped potential. But uh, on the other hand, it's probably a little bit terrifying too. Tell us, tell us about what that was like. Um, so it actually, it, it's, it, we, we officially launched, I believe, on the last day of, the first day of October of 2020. We made this plan toward the end of 2019, uh, Pierre and I did. So we had for a little while, 2018, 2019, I think even a little bit of 2017, been helping some other shops do barrel picks. Uh, one in New York, uh, we had done um, some uh, with Blake at Sealbox. We had done a couple um, that hadn't come out yet with Justin's House Bourbon down in Kentucky, um, all good friends of ours. And... There were certain things Pierre and I wanted to do in particular. We wanted to focus on, you know, what we call independent distillers. Uh, I know some people call it craft, but I don't, I don't think that's a, it's a fair estimate of, of what they do. Um, so because of that, it, we could see that it was going to get difficult to work in the space that we were at in the system. You know, this three-tier system, we were basically like a fourth tier. So we decided, all right, let's um, open up our own shop, our own retail shop, and what's going to make the most sense. So we kind of scoured the United States to look at the laws in the, in the different states and places and decided, you know, DC was the place for us to go because it was going to allow us to really use technology um, to kind of move our company forward. And, and Pierre has uh, always worked in technology and I've always worked in media marketing and also, you know, in my time in media kind of transitioned from print really to like digital. So I always knew that technology was important. Uh, in terms of delivery system for anything. So uh, we decided in, in 2019, we were going to do it in 2020. Uh, I left my fancy corporate job in media to do this. And we started to go out and get our licenses. Uh, so we put all of our, our paperwork together, which, you know, it's it's extensive, the paperwork. So it's it's like background checks, fingerprinting, credit checks, you know, you got to make, they, they check to make sure you don't have a criminal record, that kind of stuff. So we started to put all this paperwork together. And in December of 2019, November, December, 2019, all of a sudden in January, it's like, uh, of 2020, it's like full COVID. They're like, everybody's going to stay at home. You can't cross state lines. Uh, it started to get really serious. And so we really sat down and said, look, we got to hand in this paperwork if we even think we have a shot of getting our, our proper licensing in this business on the ground. So we did this uh, flash trip down to D.C. from New York with all of our paperwork, everything notarized, like super early in the morning, left at like 4 a.m. We're on the highway. There's no one on the highway. It looks like totally goes down. You know, we're all concerned. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to get pulled over and stopped because we're traveling during this pandemic. Uh, and it was really at the, when we did it at the height of, of the fear of like, we don't want anyone to go anywhere. People were also, and we live in New York city and COVID was killing people at a really rapid rate. You know, so we live on top of each other in close proximity. So we really weren't sure what was going to happen, but we get down to DC, we hand in our paperwork, you know, it was like a Thursday. We get a call on Monday uh, from the rep there and says, you know, we, we really love your application. We think it's really cool what you guys are trying to do. This is definitely a viable business. We will prove it um, and assign you to a specialist, which was really is really fast for a government agency to do it in a few days. Uh, however, the rep tells us uh, everybody is going home tomorrow indefinitely due to COVID. <laughs> 
So we know this process is supposed to take about three months, but we can't really give you a date when you're going to get your licensing. So you'll just have to bear with us as we work through this pandemic stuff. So during that time, we were a little nervous, but at least we were happy that we had gotten everything up front. So we started to communicate with various distilleries that we worked with uh, and asked them if they would let us do barrel picks, even though we didn't have our license. Uh, Hill Rock was one of the ones, one of our, you know, some of our friends up in New York who were really understanding of the situation and let us start with barrel picks there. And then when September rolled around, uh, they granted us our license and we got moving by the end of that month, you know, and, and dropped our first barrel pick, I think, on the first day of October of 2020. That is a crazy story. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I wish, I wish we could say that that's that's a unique experience uh, in terms of you know dealing with both bureaucracy and pandemic related uh, <laughs> delays. But unfortunately, that's becoming more the norm than the exception these days. Uh, you mentioned a couple things that I think are great segues into the meat of this conversation. Uh, one of those is, of course, the idea of a barrel pick, which is something I want to return to uh, later in the conversation, because even though we deal quite a bit with spirits and cocktails on this show, we haven't really spent a lot of time to really sit down and look at what a barrel pick is, what it means, what it represents, and how to think about them as a consumer. So I, I think that you're going to be a great resource for our listeners in that respect. But before we get to the nitty gritty of what a barrel pick is and how you go about selecting these barrels. I'd love to talk about the overall mission of TSR, uh, taste select repeat. We'll refer to it as TSR moving forward here, but uh, like what is the uh, sort of value prop if we're, if we're talking about like corporate speak, um, but more generally if it, it, from a, just a, you know, every day, you know, you walk up to somebody, how do you explain what TSR is and what you do, what your mission is? Sure. Well, we are expanding a little bit, but I'll tell you how we started and kind of what, what the original pitch was. When we started doing these barrel picks with other shops, we started to amass a, a small following. And I say small, and I keep it real when I say small. I'd say it was maybe about, you know, a local community in New York City of about 200 people who were really started to get into our barrel picks. And... Pierre and I would uh, go to different events, et cetera. And they were just kind of homogenous events, which, you know, can happen, you know, I'm black, Pierre's black, we go to these events and they would be like, like, you know, kind of all white guys, a little bit older than us. A little bit kind of of that. It, it felt very much like a little bit of that social media, like, you know, you know, atmosphere of, you know, crotch, crotch shots and, people who were highly critical of other people because of their bottles or their bottle selections or asking questions about things they didn't know. And even though we are both very knowledgeable and were at the time very knowledgeable when we started this, it just wasn't an atmosphere that we really embraced. You know, we thought it was lacking in some diversity in particular, like not a lot of women in the conversation or in the game. And then also we felt like there wasn't really this safe space for people who were newcomers. So, you know, if you were a whiskey nerd already and you were collecting bottles or hunting bottles, as everyone likes to say, um, there, you know, right, there's a lot of space for you because you're, you were already there. You already have these bottles in your, in your house. But if you were someone who was just starting to catch on to whiskey, which is what everyone who's into American whiskey in particular goes through at some point in time, right, then... It just seemed like there wasn't a space for you. And so we decided, hey, we want to do some events locally and we want to invite, you know, all of our friends who were, you know, nerds, basically nerds to novices scenario. So we think that the nerds would benefit from having new people in the space because it would be uh, allow them the ability to use their knowledge and help people and also would be a new, fresh you know, look at the spirits. And then we wanted to, you know, help the novices uh, get into a space that, you know, people could be really helpful to them in terms of, okay, here are the mistakes I made uh, when I started, you know, collecting bourbon, let's just say, you know, I bought 10,000 bottles of Blanton's and I probably only needed to buy four. So uh, we started to do these events. We did one with Victor's. We did some with Finger Lakes. We did one with Whistlepig. Uh, and we invited people in our space and in our area in New York that we thought would appreciate it. And 
the events were really cool. And at that point, we started to say, oh, hey, we have like a little, we have a fan base. And it's not like a fan base, like they're admiring us as, you know, like we're famous or anything like that. But we have a fan base because people are like, oh, I had a good time and I would do this again. And this is really opening my mind up to what bourbon is, what rye is. Learning all this stuff is really cool. And I also like the tasting and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So that was um, kind of part of what we were looking to do. Now, what we realized was we needed to have the, a li- the liquor license to do it, right? And that our, our area in the space was going to be as a retailer to start. Like we knew we neither had the training nor the capital to start a distillery. We didn't really have an interest in being a distributor or being a middleman in that regard. And what we really wanted to do was uh, use our, our knowledge and our palates to recommend to people things that they would like and enjoy. So we decided to fall into, you know, drop into the retail space and uh, try to be a retailer that could help people that were new to the game, as well as a retailer that had good enough product that we could help people who were already hip to the game. I like the nerds to novices approach, right? It's it's kind of it, taking the reality of the situation saying, all right, we got a bunch of nerds already and we have a bunch of novices who might be, you know, kind of standing outside the circle, intimidated to to actually enter into it and to kind of model your business in a way that that brings them into the fold and simultaneously makes the fold maybe a slightly more appealing place to be is is a great thing um because you know when i when i think about american whiskey and i'm i'm approaching this as somebody who judges spirits you know i i i think about american whiskey and it is just simply one of the most intimidating spaces to enter into uh for for a lot of cultural reasons and uh so i i wonder if you might talk a little bit more before we get into these barrel picks and, and the way you go about it i i want to throw out a couple of prompts um i i really enjoyed uh doing my research for this interview so the the prompts that i want to throw out there are, are two things you know when i was reading and this is maybe something that your business partner pierre spoke about when I was reading some of these articles, but he was talking about, you know, some of the microaggressions that occur to people who are either new to the American whiskey space or who are people of color or women. So can you speak to like what that's like, either in your experiences or in the experiences of other folks whom you've interacted with through TSR? And then maybe kind of talk about how you guys inform without didacticism. That's a, a phrase that I came across in an article that I really liked. Yeah, totally. Um, well, it, you know, it's this is a peculiar country that we live in, right? It's a country <laughs> that's basically, unless you're Native American, it's made up of immigrants, right? And we all came here at different times. We all came, some some of us came here willingly. Some of our families were forced to come here. Some of our families were fleeing persecution in other places, right? So it's a massive country with, you know, hundreds of millions of people in it. And we live in different areas. We have different, we have all these different experiences. And yet we're trying to live in this one location under this one government, etc. right? So there's, while Right. Well, on the one hand, the United States is like the space where there's tons of room for opportunity and success. There's also tons of room for conflict based on all the things that have happened in our in our history. So there's that. Right. And that trickles over into everything that we do. So I, I don't want to you know, make it like, oh, you know, we we go down to Kentucky and we go to these places and everyone's a racist and everyone's big. And they like that's not really what it is. I just think it's this is the country that we live in. And we just have to be, you know, on the, we have to be honest about what it is in our history and our people and, you know, proactive about making all these scenarios better. So I don't think it's just like endemic to American spirits. It's just, that's just our country. But, you know, when you take a bunch of things like in the American whiskey space and you, and you couple them together, right, that like the majority of this whiskey is made in Kentucky, which is a border state during the Civil War, right? It's, you know, currently very, very Republican, tons of Trump supporters down there. They have, they have a very specific worldview. 
right? When you then add on top of that, this is a cultural experience for them that has to do with, you know, everyone in their families who grew up there having been in this business, right? And it's a small population state. There are lots of other issues going on in Kentucky. High unemployment. We could go through, you know, drug use in rural year areas. So now you have this commodity that they've been making forever that was just, you know, part of the, the local culture, local and, and customary. Now all these people are interested in it. And a lot of those people aren't from there. You know, they're not from there. And so anytime you run into that scenario of like a group of people with a specific culture have worked have worked on a thing for many years and then everyone else is now into it, it's very easy to understand how those people who originally worked on these on these on this thing get can be xenophobic, right? And that could be that could be anything across the board, right? In Kentucky it, we, right now, we just happen to be talking about bourbon and American whiskey and, and the state of Kentucky and, and that, you know, um, Midwestern area. But we could be talking about, you know, something else. We could talk about how, you know, sometimes people of color feel like, you know, their music is appropriated or whatever. So it's I understand why people get fearful when they think that a, outside groups are appropriating their culture. Right. And, and this is another instance of that. It's just the opposite of what we generally think about because this cultural thing was, you know, while put together by, you know, black and white people has really been something that was created, produced and marketed to white folks in particular, you know, white guys in the South. And that's what it is right now. It doesn't just because that was the way it was originally marketed and the people who originally made it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that they're, the spirits aren't aren't good or aren't are, you know they're actually quite excellent and people just didn't know about it until recently. So these sorts of things can happen, right? Even though I think I've been in the spirit space for a, a pretty good amount of time. I mean, ten plus years that I've been kind of into it. People that look like me are new as consumers in this particular market. So all of a sudden, when they start showing up at distilleries or at bars and and asking for this stuff, like it creates confusion for everyone, right? And I think that's the easiest way to explain it. So, you know, there have been times where we have been to distilleries and people have, you know, to show up to do barrel picks and the security guards have been like, are you sure you're at the right place? Like that has definitely happened to us. Like, I'm not going to lie. There have been times where, you know, I think the, the, the most obvious one is when you're, you know, you're a person of color. And a lot of times I think a woman and you walk into a liquor store the assumption is that you don't know as much as, you know, that you don't know anything. Um, so you get that all the time. And actually that's one of my favorite games to play is going into a liquor store and pretending I don't know anything. And just to see what the salespeople are going to try to sell me. Um, so I can understand like, Oh, this person is genuinely trying to, this person is genuinely trying to help me or are they just trying to make a sale? Right. Mm. And that also ultimately has ended up informing how we run our business because we're not just trying to make a sale to people where, you know, education is a huge part of our, our shop and the way that we do our stuff. We want people to be educated about what they're buying. We want people to understand. We want to disclose all the information about our barrel picks, for instance, um, so that people can make informed decisions about why they should or shouldn't buy it. Um, so those, I think, are the, the biggest ones that, that I've seen, in particular in the liquor stores. But again, I don't I don't want to I don't want to paint this picture. Right. Of, you know, we're struggling with racism over here in this industry. Because, again, I think it's it's an American it's an American problem, not a whiskey problem. Mm. You know, um, it's, it's, it's not solely in this industry. So. We've had, you know, I have, we have other stuff happen like that to us all the time. Like we, we in many ways consider ourselves to be like, you know, the supreme of, I don't know, American whiskey or spirits that we like to do interesting and weird projects and collaborations with brands that other people aren't doing. And so when you go to a brand that has a history and that has a way of doing things and you say, Hey, I got an idea. Let's do something totally new that you've never done with anyone else. Right. The immediate response to that is always in most cases is, whoa, 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 whoa. We're like, we're not doing it. Right. So it's easy to get that response. And while it may be colored by the fact that we're new to the space and people are like, who do these people think they are wanting to do this thing? It also is informed by the fact that these industries have run the same way for a very long time. 
and everyone is, you know, the vast majority of people in the world are adverse to change. It does strike me that you are coming to this particular spirit space being primarily American whiskey. Seems like you're branching out, but primarily in the beginning, American whiskey during a pandemic and at a time when, in addition to all of that, American whiskey is, you know, I wouldn't say it's struggling with an identity crisis. It's almost more struggling with the fact that all these independent brands or some of the larger brands are looking for ways to kind of differentiate a little bit. And, you know, although you're, it sounds like coming in with some really interesting ideas, at least in the barrel pick space, uh, you know, they have to, they're almost fighting this cultural weight of the last century saying like, "Mm, no, we need to resist this impulse to actually innovate and to, to kind of take these risks. So it seems, you know, that although there are certainly some barriers to entry, which it seems like TSR is trying to uh, lower through education and through diversity. Uh, it seems like there's also some really interesting opportunities where it's like they, it's it's almost like uh, the game that you play in the liquor store. The liquor store is almost a microcosm for the industry in general right now because you don't know what you're going to get when you walk into a new liquor store. You could get the person who just it makes a snap decision and says, great, I'm going to pawn something. You know, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to pawn something easy off on this person. Or you could end up walking into a place and, you know, meeting somebody who's just genuinely there to help and there to give you the best experience possible. So that, that was a, that's a fascinating thing. And I, I really like the way that you described that game because, uh, it, it really is indicative of the, complete dice roll that it is when you walk into any given place. So um, I, I'd love to transition now to the notion of a barrel pick, because I think where the level that most of our listeners are going to resonate with this idea is having gone to a liquor store and seen barrel picks for that specific liquor store. I know here in DC, there's a number of places that do that. Um, Schneider's of Capitol Hill, one of my favorite places does that all the time. Um, a number of others, uh, and, uh, people from other markets, you know, who go to places like, I'm sure that lots of total wines do barrel picks. I'm sure places like Binnie's in Chicago does it all the time. That's a level that most people are going to think of a barrel pick, but it seems like TSR has a very specific approach. And, and I know that you have a way that you like to go and select your barrels. So just open up this, the, the notion of barrel picks for us and, and talk about how you approach it with your company. Sure. All right. So there's kind of two things in here, right? The, the first thing is, well, there's a few things in here. We'll try to get to all of them. So let's break down exactly what the barrel pick is, and then I'll talk about how we how we do it and why we do it that way. So the single barrel pick uh, or the single barrel selection is essentially when a store tries various single individual barrels of, and let's use bourbon for this, but it could be bourbon, could be rye whiskey, could be some other form of American whiskey, 100% wheat whiskey, you know, light whiskey, etc. When you go to a distillery and you try various different single barrels, which um, will vary uh, in taste, they'll be similar, but they can have some variation based on where they would put the rickhouse, you know, the temperature, how much is the fill level, etc. Mash bill, obviously, we know all that stuff. And you try through a bunch of different ones and you decide which one you like the best. And then you ask the distillery to bottle that for you specifically and uh, put some information on the bottle. We'll say that says, hey, this was selected by this particular shop. So that's really what the single barrel selection is. They tend to be um, slightly more expensive than your, uh, than your normal offering from that distillery. In all likelihood, because the proof is higher, they're, they're usually done at barrel, barrel strength. So they pour them out of the bottle, I mean, out of the barrel, they put them in a bottle, which what you get is what you get. Now, there are some programs that um, give you options to proof them down to 100, like Old Forester or to it at barrel strength. And then there are some programs like Wild Turkey that only do them at the same proof that you would get their core product. And the reasoning for that is because they don't, they don't want to disrupt their bottling line to have to do special labels and deal with that sort of thing. We happen to think that it's particularly in this, you know, um, a while ago, when it was easier to get allocated bottles, or I guess they weren't really allocated, you know, there was a lot of these 
great opportunity to get this high-end whiskey at a reasonable price. Well, there's more fans now. You know, there's there's more people who are interested. There's a bigger secondary market. All this stuff is going on. So there is less opportunity, for instance, to get a Pappy Van Winkle 15, a birthday bourbon, a this, a that, go on and on with all those. So to us, the barrel pick is a really great expression of what the distillery does, right? It's literally like going to the distillery and saying, give us your, what you believe to be your best work and we'll try through it and we'll pick the best one and then we will bring it to people. So that's the, that's what the barrel pick is. And when you go into many stores, they'll usually have a display. They'll say, Hey, this is our barrel pick from Elijah Craig or our barrel pick from this place. And you can purchase them. And it is a great opportunity to really try some different things that are going to be a little bit more unique than your standard offering from any distillery that you'll see in any store. Now, they can be good. They can be bad, right? The reason that you batch whiskey is to get to a consistency of uh, flavor, is to get to a consistent proof, and to offer a consistent product, right? Just like, you know, the concept of no matter where you go to McDonald's in the world, the fries should taste the same. No matter where you buy a bottle of, you know, Russell's Reserve in the world, it should taste the same, right? Or Elijah Craig, it should taste the same. So when you get the single pro- barrel product, it's going to have some uniqueness to it in terms of the flavor, the proof, etc. So we want to give that to our consumers because we think it's they're great products. We think it's a great demonstration of the quality and caliber of what these distilleries do. But we try to add some education element into it, right? And this is where kind of we, we think about our liquor store differently than other people do. There've been tons of times where I've gone into liquor stores and they've had barrel picks and they don't really select them. They just have the distillery send them or the people who are there aren't educated on, you know, why their particular barrel pick is better than anything else. And part of what we do is say, all right, well, we want to go to the distillery. We want to take pictures. We want to take video. We want to bring other people to pick with us uh, who are knowledgeable about spirits and so that we get the best product we possibly can. And then when we sell that product to people, we want to be able to list all the information so that we're 100% transparent about what it is and demonstrate that we actually took the time, effort, and energy to go and get the best product possible. So for us, it's not just that we're selling a slightly more unique product from these distilleries, but we're also helping to educate consumers about why these distilleries are good at what they do, right, and why we went there in the first place. So we almost, we pretty much will never select barrel picks from samples unless we're dealing with a distillery that we really can't get to for some reason. It's a timing issue. Or if they're a non-distiller producer and they don't really have a location where they where they distill their spirits. You know, um, those are the only reasons. But it's important to us to go everywhere, you know. And I think of like an upcoming trip we have. In a month or so, we're doing our first Jack Daniels barrel picks. Now, Pierre and I don't really drink a lot of Tennessee whiskey, but we're going to go and do a Jack Daniels rye and a Jack Daniels, you know, Tennessee whiskey, and it's going to be an experience for us. We'll we'll be in Tennessee at Jack Daniels for the first time. We want to meet all the people. We want to talk to them about what they're doing. We want to see their process. We want to take the tour. We want the whole. We want all the smoke. You know, and we want to and we want to meet these people and and learn about who they are, right? Because ultimately, these products don't make themselves; they require a, a long list of people who work for a company to make them. And that goes all the way from people who are highly educated with PhDs in chemistry, all the way down to you know day workers, day laborers who are responsible for you know manning machines, cleaning up locations, moving barrels, like. It's a real wide range of people who work at these places to make these great spirits. And we try to bring that element to our barrel picks. So we spend a little bit more money to do it, to go there, to spend the time, to get the media. So our barrel picks tend to be a little bit more expensive. Um, but it's not because, you know, we're we're here trying to gouge anyone. It's because we literally just put more money and effort into getting them right than some other liquor stores do. You just threw a ton of awesome information out there. Uh, I want to comment on a few things. Uh, I I really appreciate that you drew that distinction. I, I love the McDonald's fries metaphor of right the art of consistency versus perhaps the more fleeting or 
like uh, momentary art of a single barrel, right? Like you've got Elijah Craig, Elijah Craig tastes like Elijah Craig, tastes like Elijah Craig. And then you have this barrel that can be in the warehouse next to all those other barrels that are about to get blended and taste like Elijah Craig. And that individual barrel can taste so wildly different that I think that that's the pull of the single barrel. It's almost like when you go to a bookstore and you pick up a copy of one of Shakespeare's plays off the shelf, it's got the same words in it as that play that you're going to go to any other bookstore and pick up off the shelf. But when you go to a performance of that play, that performance is going to be nothing like any other performance of that play. And so I think that that's really the pull of the single barrel. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. I've been a customer for about a year now, and I can say without hesitation that the delivery of frozen farm fresh meat that I receive from Adam and his team makes me do a little happy dance every month. Not only does Near Country offer grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork, but they also have an awesome selection of chicken and seafood. And the best part is it's all local and it's all sustainably farmed and harvested. You can customize every order or simply leave the selection in their capable hands like I do. Near Country even offers fun add-ons like bones for soups and stocks, as well as special holiday offerings like turkeys, brisket, and more. If you live in the Mid-Atlantic, that's D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, and you're sick of the same bland selection at the grocery store, or you're looking to drastically improve the quality of the protein in your diet, Near Country Provisions has you covered. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, all one word, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. This is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. And one thing that I realized as you were speaking that I don't think had quite occurred to me was how sort of kind of throwaway barrel picks have become at liquor stores. They've become just another box that you need to check. Ah, we need a big, you know, oh, we're out of, we're out of uh, our maker's mark or our old Forester barrel pick. Uh, get the rep on the phone and tell them to send another barrel pick for us because we need to have it. People are expecting it. So it's a box we need to check as opposed to something that we go into with that sort of reverence for the performative aspect of it, for that fleeting sort of unique aspect of it. And I know that especially in terms of like the, you you talked about bottle hunting earlier. And so the term unicorn has been used to describe these old dusties on the shelves uh, that, you know, have never had the price tags changed on them where you can get a bottle of Pappy for some, you know, reasonably affordable price. But it seems like the real unicorns, the actual unicorns really are the barrel picks because that thing is once that very finite wooden cooperaged vessel is put into bottles and those bottles get transferred to glasses. Those glasses hit lips and that liquid goes into a bundle of cells that has a brain and experiences that flavor. That's only going to ever happen a certain number of times. So to me, that's the romance that you just described. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, let's say you're talking about like a 10 year old, you know, barrel of rye whiskey, you know, it's 53 gallon and we're talking about a 53 gallon, you know, barrel, you'll be lucky to get 150 bottles. So it's only 150 bottles will ever exist that taste just like that. So that's really a cool thing, you know, as opposed to if you were to say, oh, the annual release of Pappy Van Winkle 20. All right. There's, I don't know, they're going to do what, 5,000 of those every year. Let's just say in theory, BTAC or anything else that we want to put in that kind of that allocated, you know, hundreds, hundreds of, if not thousands of dollars type bottles. The thing that I think we, we try to bring into this, right, there's so, you know, there are liquor stores of all shapes and sizes, right? There's, you know, there's good liquor stores that are just there to sell whatever the basics are because it's a transactional. They're in the market to be transactional and to just get paid. 
there are massive warehouse style liquor stores, the Vinnies, the Total Wines, whatever, right? Now they obviously want to get paid too, but they're trying to offer as much as they possibly can under one roof so that you can do all your shopping in one place. We look at it differently, which is, right? And then you have these specialty liquor stores, which are like only the most expensive of the most expensive of the best of the best stuff. Right. And, you know, we know those liquor stores too. the, you know, the, the West DuPont wines that, you know, fill in the blank, those, those, those spots. We try to be in the middle, which is to say there's, there's all sorts of options across the industry, right? There's great bang for the buck. There's great value products. There's specialty products there where there are only going to be so many because it's a barrel pick, but like, just because something is expensive doesn't mean it's, it's going to be better. And this is kind of the wonder of, of this industry in American whiskey is, there's this breath of you could be as big as Campari Wild Turkey, right? And everyone will sit here and tell you from now till the end of time, oh, Wild Turkey 101, that's like the best, you know, easy to find quality product at a reasonable price, right? To get that right, when you go to Wild Turkey and you see that operation and you see how big their vats are and they're still and all that stuff, you're like, oh, wow. To get this right and to have it consistent, and to be this good consistently year in, year out, you know, for decades is an amazing feat. It's an amazing feat. It's like being a champion, you know, it's like being a Patriots, you know, like you're great every year. That's hard. On the other side of that uh, spectrum, you have these smaller distilleries, the independents, and, and in between, obviously, big distilleries doing other interesting things. To do other and interesting, unique products is also a feat because it requires creativity, right? It requires you up your creativity. You don't have to be as concerned about your consistency, right? Both are really hard to do. And so we have this great breadth in this country of these places that do all this stuff, these distilleries. And in order to run them requires all sorts of different skill, whether you're talking about the science or you're talking about the management or you're talking about the marketing, all of that. So we try to bring all of that stuff to the people, to the consumers. One of the things that has been very obvious to me is like this three-tier system we have of your distillery your distributor and then your retailer is very disjointed, right? They rely on each other. They're connected, but the, the, the supplier, the distillery is really primarily concerned with making it, selling it to someone. The middleman is concerned with, you know, getting it to the places where they can just up their profit. And the retailer is concerned with liquidating it. No one in this entire thing, none of these, these three, uh, these three tiers work together to say, all right, in order to maximize sales, we have to figure out how we maximize our promotion and education and marketing and all of this stuff. They just don't work together. So that's why you go to a, you know, when you show up in a liquor store, sometimes you have these people, most of the times you have people in liquor stores who don't know what they're talking about, right? Because there's been no emphasis from the other two tiers of this system to say, hey, when someone comes in and says, I want to know the difference between a Reposado tequila and, a, and an Anejo tequila, and you have to know it so that they have a better experience here so that they know what they want to buy and they have more brand loyalty. They're not working on that together. That's and, right. That's right. You know, that's the part that we try to, that we add, right. That's our added value. As far as I'm concerned is we think it's important to understand that it's okay to not know stuff. It's okay to ask questions. Right. And anyone who, you know, you're not going to be an educated consumer unless there's someone there to help you learn. You, know, you shouldn't be in a vacuum to learn. And then two, we want you to understand the value proposition of all the things you can potentially buy, which is this is an expensive bottle because of the process, because of the waiting time, because of the distillation, because of the, you know, the raw materials they're using. This is an expensive bottle because it's limited in how many were produced. And also these bottles are also very good and they are, they are less limited and less expensive, but they're also very good. And in a blind, is where the other part of our business comes in. You may choose the less expensive bottle over the more expensive bottle. And I see this all the time. I do events uh, where we do blind tasting, single blinds, where it's like, all right, you have on the table a $30 bottle, five bottles. The cheapest one is 30. The most expensive one is 300. People don't always choose a $300 bottle, you know, when they don't know. When they don't know that the three that the other bottle is uh, three hundred, they don't always choose that. A lot of times, they choose the cheaper bottle. So it's important to educate people on why, you know, on all of this information that you know, marketing is real, 
cost doesn't necessarily mean that something is better. This industry is so wide in the United States that we have space to have good products at all sorts of price points. Yeah, I, I love I love the notion of transparency, and I, I appreciate that that you are a champion of it because I don't think things are going to get less transparent as we go on. There's certain whiskey brands, you know, one that immediately springs to mind is Brooklotti, um, in terms of the transparency with which they approach some of their releases, where they're sitting there and they're saying, you know, they're telling you exactly where their grain comes from. They're talking to you about, you know, all the specific PPM profiles. They're they're really digging in. And they are still unfortunately the exception rather than the rule. So it, it's great that you saw this opportunity from not the producer side, right? Because you're not actually making the juice, but but you saw this opportunity from the retailer side to be like, hmm, man, when people go into these liquor stores, they're not receiving this sort of transparency. They're not receiving this sort of eye contact. Uh, and to take that opportunity to actually, you know, do the work and, and put in the the information and the education at that point in the process. So I think that's really valuable. And I, I think it's also super important for people to understand the 30 versus the 300 idea that you were just speaking about. And, and there's really no way to get that. You can, you can understand it intellectually, but until you do that single blind tasting that you were talking about, until you actually experience on the palate and then you do the grand reveal and you realize that you were sitting there perfectly happy with a $35 to $50 bottle of whiskey when it was sitting right next to a $300 bottle of whiskey. You can't understand that intellectually. You have to understand it on the palate for it to really click with you. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the culture is working against. That's what the crotch shots and the hype culture is actively working against. It's it's trying to you know, get people to buy into the fact that these bottles are just inherently worth it due to limited demand and nothing else or limited supply and nothing else. Um, so it's, I think it's great that you're actually kind of breaking down some of these ideas. Um, do you want to share, uh, before we get into a few other things here, what, what's new and exciting, uh, do you want to share, um, I guess some of the brands that you're working with? I know that you're a big wilderness trail fan. Like what, what's, uh, what's exciting, um, uh, right now on TSR that people can, can visit your site and, and check out. Okay. Um, well, we have a we're expanding, and it it's it's been great that we have had the success we've had that people have gravitated towards the way that we're that we're doing it right, and and it's it's true. I truly appreciate that. You know, it makes because running a small business in the United States is hard. <laughs> it's hard work. It's hard. I'm laughing at it, but I'm also like little baby tears over here. Like they don't make it easy for you to run your own little business and like go from zero to to something. So um, we're having a great time. We have some really cool stuff that's in the shop right now, um, like our Frey Ranch pick. So every year we do a pick for Women's History Month where we essentially try to find a distillery that has um, – has made a commitment to women on their staff in terms of they're staffed up with some women or they have a, a female distiller or a female co-owner. And then we um, add uh, a bunch of women to help us do the pick. Now, most of our picks, we do somewhere between three and five people. So it's usually myself, Pierre, one other person or three other people. And we try to have that be a diverse group of people whose, whose palates that we respect. Um, so our Women's History Month, we've picked, we've done that three years in a row. The first year we did it with New Riff. Second year we did it, and they had a they had a significant amount of people, women working there, in particular in the barrel program. The second year we did it with uh, Old Forster, and we picked it with Jackie Zykan, who's their master um, taster. This year we did it with Frey Ranch, who has uh, is is co-owned by uh, a husband and wife team, and we had uh, three women help us with the pick. So our Women's History Month pick is kind of like our biggest tradition, and it's I think it's great every year we've been you know uh a lowest proof we've picked on that is 100 all the way up to you know 127 proof they're always really good they're always unique this year we dropped that one with a really cool uh little glass that says this whiskey got me feeling pretty which we usually have engraved on the bottle 
but because we couldn't engrave the bottle this year, we uh, we basically uh, added a glass to it. It's a really excellent pick, and it highlights to me like the quality of a a, a very small distillery, Frey Ranch, which is in Nevada, which a lot of people haven't heard of, and how you know the whiskey industry in, in the United States is bigger than just you know Kentucky and Indiana and, and Tennessee. Um, so we love that. We also have uh, a few other really quality barrel picks in there. You know, a lot of them will sell out pretty quickly. So a bunch of the barrel picks that we do, if they're from a, a, a distillery that people know, they'll be gone in five minutes. They'll be sold out. But then we have a lot from the independent distilleries, which sell really, really well, really fast, but they don't necessarily sell out in minutes, right? They don't sell out like our you know, Four Roses Pickwood or our you know, Buffalo Trees Pickwood. But we love that about it. Like we want to have the products in the store that highlight the best of the industry. So we have a really excellent bottle in there from Bainbridge, which has won so many awards for being like, you know, they're literally the best organic distillery in the country, maybe in the world, very small. It's on an Island outside of Seattle. And we have a hundred percent wheat whiskey from there. The first one they ever did at barrel strength. And it's, it's excellent. And we still have a few left. You know, we have an excellent Rossville pick that's made by MGP and everyone knows who MGP is because they make so much whiskey for so many people. And that's a Kentucky style rye, and that's a, they have a new program, and we really enjoyed what we tried from them, so we wanted to highlight them. Um, so we have some great barrel picks. Now the, the thing that's kind of gotten bigger for us over the last year and change, because it hasn't been that long since we've really been up and in business, is people started asking for a couple different things. We had tons of clients who started asking for tequila, uh, mezcal. So we've done one mezcal pick um, with five centitos. And um, we are starting to just really up the amount of tequilas that we carry in the store. So we're focusing on Reposado, which is the more traditional style in Mexico, and then also adding some Anejos and extra Anejos in there for people to sample and try. So we've really like kind of beefed up what we're doing with tequila. We're getting ready to do some tequila barrels. I think uh, one with Codigo, one with Eridura, one with El Tesoro. And we're really trying to like, get our tequila program where our whiskey program is. So we've now also become like a really cool place to find good tequila bottles. And then the last thing is our customers started asking for all this other stuff that we hadn't really thought about at first, like glassware, sweatshirts, hats, maple barrel aged maple syrup, barrel aged coffee. So Pierre and I sat down and we thought, Oh, all right. So we started this as a liquor store and, um, you know, we had all these ideas about it just being a liquor store. And what we seem to be transitioning to is really a marketplace that really celebrates the liquor lifestyle, which is a better way to put it, I think. So we're trying to figure out all of the best ways to get different products in, whether they're branded by us, TSR, or whether they are other companies we believe in um, that are adjacent and in the same industry and offer them. And then one of the other kind of missions that we have is to look at other people we have in the industry, like, you know, people who are excellent mixologists and say, all right, what can you add to this? Like, if you could sell something, what would it be? Would it be a bar kit? You know, would it be a tasting spoon? Would it be, you know, we don't know, but <clears throat> whatever it is, we want to get your opinion and we want to sell it as long as, you know, you're going to tell us what it is that makes it special and we can put it out there and people can understand that. So, we are slowly but surely really transitioning into more of a marketplace than we are just a liquor store. And I do love that idea because I think it, it does start to right, open up and explain the, the connectivity of these industries, right? It explains the connectivity between, you know, mixologists and distillers in a, in, in a, in a way, right? It explains the, the connectivity between a glass maker and, you know, having the right glass to drink the right product with and why one glass is better than another, et cetera. So trying to really like encompass that whole liquor lifestyle is a mission of ours and something where we're, you know, we're moving towards slowly, but surely. Um, but we're really liking the way it's coming out. So as we move on every month, we have more new and interesting products that are bigger than just, uh, you know, bottles of whiskey for people to check out. That's tremendous. Uh, well, I'm super happy that uh, what started as a liquor store with uh, with a 
emphasis on transparency is is now taking on a life of its own as more of a marketplace, uh, and it seems like the transparency and and um, you know the the attention to detail that you guys put in is really what's fueling that. So, congrats. Uh, I mean, that's simultaneously exciting, but but a lot. Uh, as as you go from one vertical to a bunch of verticals, uh, that's a lot more work and a lot more complexity. So, um, yeah, super excited for that. And um, I, I guess uh, I, I was I really wanted to get into cigars with you, but maybe we'll have to save that for a round two at some point because because uh, it seems like uh, over on your Instagram you, you're you're a big fan of the spirits and cigars uh, combo. Is that is that something you've ever contemplated maybe doing uh, doing in tandem? I love a cigar. I love a good cigar. I am like, I love a good cigar recreationally. So I wouldn't say that I'm like, you know, I'm not like the cigar lover 12 out here where like, I know it, I'm dialed into it. There are some brands I like more than others. I like to have them when I'm on vacation or chilling with friends. Mm -hmm. So we haven't really thought about like cigar and whiskey pairings, but certainly it could be something that could, that could happen in the, in, in the future. I just think there are a lot of things, right? Like we know, I think Pierre and I, for instance, know, like we know American whiskey really well. I really like agave spirit. So I'm into exploring where we're going with agave. He really likes single malt. So he's into exploring scotch, American single malt, Japanese. And when we run into things that we don't know very well, we try to surround ourselves with people who can help us to select and offer the right stuff. And, you know, make it worth their while, right? We're not going to say, hey, we got these cigars in the shop and they're amazing when we're not, our skill level in the cigar game is not not the best. We would in turn say, we have these cigars in the shop that were picked by our friend so-and-so who is really skilled at this and this is one of the reasons why they're good. Well, that's that's good. To, it's good to hear that the uh, the marketplace expansion is not coming at the the expense of, uh, of of the identity that you've built to this date. So, um, I want to do just a couple of quick lightning round questions before we get off here. Uh, but before we do that, can you just give everybody the best way to hit you up personally and TSR on social media and uh, on the web? Sure. So I'm primarily on Instagram. And uh, my handle there is Neat Rocks Cocktail, as in the three ways I like to drink my whiskey, Neat on the rocks or in a cocktail. Um, our TSR account is Taste Electropeat. Um, and we have Instagram. We are also on, uh, we're on LinkedIn and we're, uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, we don't really play games with the, the TikTok yet, but you never know. Um, maybe we're trending a little old for that at the moment. We're a little washed, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, but Taste Electropede is uh, across all platforms, just Taste, Elect- uh, Taste Electropede. Uh, we primarily do Instagram. If you're interested in the site, you know, we, our site, even though it is a, a liquor store and, you know, we ship all over the country, uh, we, we have a blog area where we talk about, you know, things that we're working on, places we've been, new products that are coming out, that kind of stuff, press that we get. So the site is also tries to be a little bit more of a resource than just, oh, you can buy bottles on here. Sure, sure. Uh, we'll have links to all that over on the show notes at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast for this interview. And uh, now just a couple of quick lightning round questions before I let you go here. The first one is uh, we have a desert island scenario. You're on a desert island for the rest of your life. You can make up whatever rules you want. I've had people like take it really hardcore and be like, oh, I need to make sure that my uh, the, my, my desert island bottle is high enough proof where I can uh, use it as antiseptic if I get hurt. Or you can take like <laughs> a little bit more of a relaxed interpretation of this. But what is your desert island bottle and your desert island cocktail? Oh, I'm, I, I got this one. All right. And I'm going to say my desert island is a, a hot desert island, not a, to, you know, <laughs> You know, right? So my, my one of my kids once said to me, "Do you know that the you know the Antarctic is one of the biggest deserts in the in the in the in the world?" And I was like, "Wait, what? Isn't it all ice?" They're like, "Yeah, it just can't rain." So I was like, "Okay, that's new." <laughs> okay, you know, edu- education, one hell of a drug. So I'm going to say I'm on a hot traditional desert island. My cocktail of choice is going to be a gin tonic, but I want good tonic. I want good light tonic that's tasty, right? Maybe like a fever tree. Uh, light and I want a gin that's uh, going to be more in the um, English style 
but 80 proof. I don't want the 90 proof. I don't want the Navy strength. I wanted us a nice, crisp, classic gin tonic. And I'm hoping that on my island, I have access to cucumbers and limes. <clears throat> That's going to be my cocktail of choice. Nice, refreshing, chill you out when you're hot. My whiskey of choice, my favorite, my favorite bourbon of all time was the old Elijah Craig Big Red, the Elijah Craig Age Dated 12 Year, which came out of production. And it was really, you know, one of the bourbons that took me to the, that took my interest level up, up, up because it was really, really good. It was in the mid nineties in terms of proof. It was well age dated. So well cared for before it was bottled and it used to be, you know, 35, $40 a bottle. So if I could just have, you know, cases of those sitting around on my desert Island, that would be the, that would be the, the bourbon that I would have. RIP man. I mean, that, that was a, that was a special bottle. And, uh, and I, I know pretty much anybody who's ever tasted it is, is sad that it is no longer, uh, no longer has that age statement on there. So great answers. Uh, love that you're a gin guy too. I love that you're a gin guy. Another question, uh, cocktail or a drink dram, a, a cocktail, anybody in history past or present living or dead, who would it be? Where would you go? Just kind of paint us a picture of your epic drink with uh with anybody past or present all right i have a couple people there oh, it's so funny how like this usually ends up being like musicians but i think that if i had to pick one it would be bob marley like if there's one person i could meet in the world living or dead it would be bob marley um you know favorite musician bob marley miles davis two of my favorite musicians but you know bob marley because we're going to deal with the spoken word it would definitely be a, a meetup in jamaica and I would probably go with something that was, uh, you know, something that was local, uh, some kind of local, well-age-stated rum and maybe some kind of, uh, you know, rum, coconut water type drinks. But I would love to, if I ever had the opportunity to have a, like a Bob Marley hang, talk about all those songs, talk about the come up, like even just reading his, you know, his biography, um, uh, Catch a Fire, just like such an excellent story because it, it explains a lot about like not just creativity, but politics and all these other things that came to light during his life. So yeah, it would definitely be Bob Marley. I definitely want to be on a beach in Jamaica, maybe someplace over there on that, like, you know, North, Northwest coast, uh, area, you know, with some of those amazing beaches that they have up there, like Boston beach or Long beach or Lagoon, et cetera. And it would just be chilling on the beach, feet in the sand, you know, keep it local. That's brilliant. Do you do you ever uh, ever think that you may in TSR uh, venture your way into the rum or cane spirit space? Because I, I could see that as being a really fascinating single barrel opportunity, especially with um, you know the, there's so many so, uh, like the, the aging down there. You know, I was listening to your uh, your interview on the Black and Brown podcast where you were talking about Cavalon, and maybe it was Pierre on how the the intense aging on Taiwan is just so wildly different than here and same thing in the Caribbean. So do you ever think about uh, entering the cane space? Yeah, there are a couple different rums that I that I really, really like. You know, everyone always is like, oh, Foursquare. And we interestingly have some projects right now where we have, we are doing a project with Doc Swinson's where we are blending with their master blender, Jesse, who's a cool young dude. And again, this is like how we think about our education. The education part of this is, so our single barrels are really cool, but if we really want to highlight also some different skills at distilleries, um, we want to do some multi-barrel blends. So we are doing um, three rye. I think we're blending three rye barrels that were all finished in Jamaican rum barrels, and we're working with their master blender to get the exact right ratio of these three barrels and the right proof. We have another um, single barrel rye finished in rum from Old Elk, which they've never done before. But we were up there doing a pick, and I saw the barrel in the distil- in the distillery, and I was like, "What is that? Can I taste it?" And I was like, "We 100% have to buy that." So we are starting to get some in- show some interest for us, and in, you know, just like tipping a, a toe in the rum space. Now, in the rum game, I always really, really loved um, the Barrelito Triple Star from Puerto Rico. It mm-hmm. is both like has that sweet sugarcane taste to it, but also uh, some really interesting barrel notes and also some savory characteristics, which I'm assuming is due to, you know, the different climate down there. So I'm really interested in trying to figure out something with Barrelito because also no one is, I've never seen anyone do any a special project with, with them. Foursquare is one we've definitely talked about trying to figure out how we could do a Foursquare rum 
And Jamaica is just a place that, you know, I have friends that live there and love to go down and would love to go down and see, you know, what the, what the, the game is there for, even if we're just talking about Appleton or whatever, but we're definitely interested in, in, in doing some rums and bringing some of that, you know, high character out to the people. That's brilliant. Well, I can't think of a better way to uh, to wrap this up than by uh, dangling that prospect out there. I, I know I'd personally be really excited to see that from you guys. And uh, I'm really grateful that you were able to take some time, introduce us to TSR, and uh, kind of uh, introduce our listeners to the magic of the barrel pick. So again, we'll have links to everything we talked about over on the show notes page, modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. OJ. Thank you so much for joining me here as a guest. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, man. It was a it was a real delight. You know, it's always fun to talk about this stuff and and you know rap with the rap with people and understand where they're coming from, and where you're coming from, and where you know as it always turns out when we do these interviews, like um, and any podcast conversations, the intersection points are so great between people, and this is the reason I think that we all love spirits in general is that it really is one of these things that that helps bring people together and to tie that back to the very beginning of our conversation like you know we live in a country where we all really you know it would do us we we're at our best when we come together and so i think that's the reason why all of us who love spirits like love it so much is because it is one of those tools that really does help us come together as people and I mean, I think if there's anything that, that people out there are craving right now, it's, it's an excuse to come together. And, you know, like you said, uh, uh, something brown in a glass is, uh, is, is a great excuse. So again, uh, OJ, thank you once again and cheers to you, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. Single Barrel Whiskey Insights, courtesy of OJ Lima, co-founder of Taste Select Repeat, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.